Good morning. Uh, as you heard, uh, Chip Miller has laryngitis, so uh, you get me no, this week. Uh, and what I decided to do is kind of set us up for our missions conference coming up next weekend. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. So if you want to turn there, I invite you to do so now. Uh, the last time I preached, one of my kids were like, Dad, you were really funny today. That's unusual. And I was like, well, we all know that I'm funny, first of all. But today's not going to be funny. So you know who you are back there, one of my kids. Not going to be funny today, at least on purpose. As you turn to Genesis 12, I want to begin with a few questions. And a lot of times when a preacher asks rhetorical questions, it's kind of just to set up the next point. But I want to begin with one that I actually want us to sincerely think about, and it's this. What would it take for you to get out of your comfort zone? What would need to happen, or what would you need to desire so much that it would cause you to get out of your comfort zone, to change your life, to change the way that you do things? For instance, what might it take for you to move to another place, to another city? What might it take to cause you to change your career? What shift would have to take place for you to think about how you spend your money and to make a decision to do it differently? When it comes to any of these changes, the question is, is what would it take to motivate us to do that? I think it's an interesting question, or those are interesting questions, because in our day and age, happiness is an idol. Comfort is an idol. And most of the time, we think happiness is comfort, or comfort equals happiness. And comfort is a powerful motivator in our lives. Honestly, it controls how we live. It controls how we spend our money, what we do with the spare time that we have. At the same time, we also know that becoming uncomfortable often leads to the results that we most desire. The things that we most desire in life actually require taking difficult steps. For instance, if you wanted to be healthier, you would have to do the work of becoming uncomfortable and probably begin exercising. I have a problem, like I can barely touch my toes. If I wanted to be more flexible, I would have to get very uncomfortable and start doing stretching. And that hurts. If you wanted to have healthier relationships with people, you'd have to probably become uncomfortable and start doing some honest introspection about the ways that you could be less selfish, to be a better friend. But what about as it relates to God in our spiritual lives, though? Where might we need to change or become uncomfortable in order to flourish and experience the joy that we know is latent in our relationship with God? This morning, we're going to look at a man and his family in Genesis chapter 12, that honestly were just minding their own business in a place called Haran, when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, their life has changed. Their life has changed, and the events of Genesis 12 reorients the course of their life. And honestly, the ripple effects of Genesis chapter 12 play out in all of history. So if you would... Let us now read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, and see what causes this man, Abram, 
to change his whole life. Follow along as I read for us now. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's sons, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east to Bethel and pitched his tent with, with Bethel on the west and I to the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negeb. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for... Your word, we pray that you would now add your blessing to the reading of your word, that we might see Christ and become like him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 12 is an account of the event that changed Abram's life. And it's really kind of made up of two parts. God's call to Abram and Abram's answer. And that's what we're going to consider this morning, these two parts how God had called Abram, and then Abram's response to that. Now, we'll begin with the first one, God's call. And I want to consider this kind of in two ways. God's call to Abram, like to draw him to himself, but then God's call to Abram and when he gave him a new purpose, or, for, or you could say a new calling in his life. So let's begin with God's call to Abram to call him to himself. Uh, if this was a testimony and Abram were giving it, he would not begin this by saying, I come from a home, a household of Christians. I grew up in a household of faith. That would not be the case. In fact, all evidence suggests that there was no religious culture in the world at all at this time. In fact, if you want to just go backwards in Genesis a little bit, the world as we get to chapter 12 of Genesis looks a lot like what we would find in Genesis chapter 6 before the great flood of Noah. When God said that every inclination of man's heart was evil all the time. The whole world had fallen into grave depravity. Now Noah had come, things had changed, but the world seems to have reduced itself back to that, that state. And we consider Abram, Abram came from a family of idol makers. And yet, God reached down to this man, called him and his family out, which is remarkable, it's miraculous. What's even more remarkable is that Abram believed God. And what's important for us to note in this miracle is how Abram was saved. How was Abram saved? Did he deserve it, just from everything we just said? No, he didn't deserve it. He came from a family of idol makers. Did Abram, was Abram seeking God? Was he on some kind of spiritual pilgrimage? Absolutely not. He was content in Haran just living his life. 
If we were to read ahead in the book of Genesis to see what he was like in, in the future, would we read about a person who lived perfectly and proved his worth, that he deserved the favor of God? Absolutely not. God's salvation of Abram is not by any works of righteousness that he would ever bring to the table. It's 100% the initiating gracious love of God towards him. Without God as the first mover, there was no salvation. Abram would have been stuck in his sin. It's also important to note that Abram wasn't completely passive. It is true that God graciously chose him and came to him. But Abram still needed to believe. He still needed to receive this gift of God's deliverance. See, salvation is by grace through faith. Through faith in what? Through faith in the covenant-making God that had just approached him. He had to believe him. Salvation was not based on the strength of Abram's faith, but in the strength of the object of his faith. The same is true in 2023. We are saved by grace through faith. Let me read for us from Romans chapter 4. I won't read the whole chapter because that would take far too long, but I want to read to us a few passages because in Romans chapter 4, we get this great intersection of what happens here with Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis and our New Testament reality that we live in today. So listen to this as I read for us parts of Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him as righteousness. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he made to be an heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that did not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. And he was told, so shall your offspring be. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that is counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's a mouthful. But to say it in another way, the same way righteousness was gifted to Abram by God through faith, we are gifted righteousness or we are made righteous through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who was, as verse 25 says, delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. As God called Abram to himself in this encounter of Genesis chapter 12, he also calls us to faith in himself through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, perhaps this is a familiar poem to you. It's one of the most famous poems. Uh, Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. Uh, it ends with the final stanza that reads like this. It says, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere, ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Imagine the difference in Abram's life if he had resisted God's call. If he had resisted God's call, he would have died in his sins. He would have never known God. He would have never known the adventure of God, what it meant to be the father of many nations. But he would have known what suffering in hell would have meant. But he did believe. Romans 4 says that Abram is the, Abraham, later, is the father of faith. And he entered into this relationship with God by faith. The same need for faith is essential for us today. The only difference between us and Abram is that we have way more information. We have seen God in the flesh and the person work of Jesus Christ. Abram had so many questions left unanswered, but he believed. We have the full picture of redemption. And we have a choice before us today. The road diverges, and whether we put our faith in Christ or not will make all the difference. Mark 8.36 says that, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And I start here because if you're here today, unsure of your salvation, I plead with you. Jesus pleads with you that you would put your hope in him alone. So like Abraham was called to new life, we have been called to new life. But God did not just stop with giving him new life and giving him a relationship. He also gave him a purpose. He called him for a purpose. And we see that also in Genesis chapter 12. So let's look now at this purpose which he was called to. If we look at verse 2 of Genesis chapter 12, we see it. That God has blessed Abram so that he might be a blessing. He blessed him that he might be a blessing to the whole world. You've likely heard it said that the three most important factors in real estate are location, location, location. Well, location matters here in Genesis chapter 12. God placed Abram in Canaan. That's where they were going to land. That is the crossroads of the world at this time. And it's an, as important as it is to understand the location here, it's also important for us to understand the context in, as we find ourselves in right now. If we, we go back, I, I did this already, let's go back to the Genesis chapter 3. We see in Genesis 3 sin's corruption entering the world. We saw by Genesis chapter 6 how rampantly sin had grown so that every inclination of everyone's heart was evil all the time. So what does God do? He sends a great flood. It's a great reset. And he chose Noah, who hadn't been righteous, but he put his favor on Noah, saved him and his family. And as soon as they got off the ark, what did he say? Be fruitful and multiply and spread throughout all the earth. We're going to start over. Well, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 11, we see that that plan is not going well either. Everyone is as sinful, it seems like, as before. 
and this whole idea of they're supposed to spread out. They didn't do that. That's the whole Tower of Babel thing is about. They didn't do what God had said. So he confused their languages and he spread them out. God had been trying to relate to the whole world and it wasn't working. So what we see here now is that God narrows all his focus onto one man and his family. As I've heard it said, he said, this is the first missionary to the world. This is the missionary family to the world because the world had gone astray. And he places them at the crossroads of the world and says, I have blessed you that you might be a blessing. This is true for us as the church. Jesus in the New Testament gives us this imagery of a city on a hill in his very first sermon. We are to be a light that cannot be hidden. A light shining so that everyone might see. So that they might see not just us or good works, but they, they might see and know something of God and that they would glorify him. Abram's new purpose was to be a blessing to the world, the whole world. He was meant to shine as a city on a hill right there in Canaan, to be an exemplar of faith for all the world to see that they might know that the Lord is good. Otherwise, you say Abram was to be a model, a signpost, a mouthpiece of God. This was his new purpose. This was his calling. That same purpose, that same mission continues on today. Jesus told his disciples to make disciples of all nations. So if you're here today and you're in Christ, you've been called, you've been blessed to be a blessing to the entire world. This past week, I read a story about a private investigator who was hired to track down a college-age girl that had quit communicating with her parents. They paid him $40,000 to find out what she was up to. They, he found her like relatively easy, probably the easiest $40,000 he ever made. She was in Colorado. She had become a ski bum. Uh, but how did he find her? The same way all private investigators go about their job. Because if you think about it, a private investigator, their job is just to find out how you're really living. How are you really living? So if I were to then ask you this question, if a private investigator, private investigator has been following you around for the last year, would it reveal that the mission of God is intimately tied into how you live? How you spend your money? What you do with your day? How you navigate relationships? The truth is, we don't need a private investigator to answer that question. We already know. We know whether or not we're seeking to live our lives daily to be a blessing or not. As we started this morning, if we're not, it's likely because we're seeking that idol of comfort, whether that be relationally, financially, or just selfishly. And I, I don't say all this try to, trying to condemn us, to make us feel guilty. Guilt is a terrible motivator. It works for a very short time, but it never lasts. I want to encourage us. We've been blessed to be a blessing. What that means is our joy is found and maximized as we live out our calling, not as we neglect it. The lies and temptations of this world will always push us towards comfort. And we have to fight off those lies. We're going to have to be intentional to be missional. I only have a few minutes left, so let's 
move on to Abram's answer to this great call that God has put on his life, to himself and to this new calling, this new purpose. So what is Abram's response? Well, look at verse 4. So Abram went just as the Lord told him. Perfect response. I mean, that is how you do it. It's a perfect response. He went. His faith resulted in steps of faith. In this case, literally, he started taking steps. He did not have many details. It's remarkable how little information or details he had, but he knew where he was supposed to go and supposedly to be a blessing, so he started walking there. The lack of information or details did not paralyze him from moving forward. So often in our life, we want guarantees. We want to know exactly what lies ahead before we act or step out in faith. Abram just started doing what he knew to do. He was called to go and to be a blessing, so he's just started going. When it comes to our lives, we don't know exactly what we're to do all the time. And it can leave us feeling paralyzed and we end up wasting our lives or wasting our time or wasting our resources passively. So where do we begin then in seeking to be a blessing to Macon and to the world? Well, I think the starting point for us is the same as it was for Abram. We just start doing what we know to do. Abram knew to start walking and that's what he did. We know some things too. And uh, I don't have time to go into all this, but when it comes to living missionally, there's at least three things we all know, and we're going to talk about this more at the missions conference. We can pray, we can give, and we can go. We cannot wait to know the plan for everything, but because truthfully, we don't know what God's plan for us is. We don't know what next week has in store, or next month, or the next decade. But the move for us is to just obey and trust God now. We can pray now. We can give right now. And we could possibly even go right now. We can pray for that friend today. We can go to our neighbor this week. This week, we could use our money and our possessions, the, the possession of our house and our money to, invite, to make a meal and bring someone into our home to build a relationship with them. I want to encourage all of us, chiefly myself, I want to encourage us to invest our lives in the blessing business. Invest our lives in the business of being a blessing and not to jump on this conveyor belt of comfort that is going on. Everyone is doing that. Everyone does it. The whole world seeks comfort and material happiness. And they do it because it's all that they know. But we have insider information from the scriptures. We know that this conveyor belt of comfort leads only to disappointment and self-centeredness and distance from God. And that doesn't have to be our path. In this weird partnership that we have with God, we have a chance to change making with the gospel. We have a chance to partner with God and change the world for Christ. We have an opportunity to see the world change through our prayers, through our dollars, and through our conversations. We just have to start taking steps. In 1988, uh, a man was invited to the BBC TV show, That's Life. He was an old man, he didn't really understand, but his wife was taking him. And while they're sitting in the audience during the show, everyone but him stood up in unison. He was standing there wondering what in the world is going on. 
The 79-year-old man had no idea what was happening, but it turns out at this TV show, a 50-year-old secret was being un unveiled. It was going to be revealed. See, in 1938, Sir Nicholas Winton single-handedly began to secretly rescue Jewish children from the Holocaust. Over the course of World War II, he would rescue 669 children out of Czechoslovakia and bring them into Great Britain, find them homes and families. Almost all the children would lose their, their parents in Auschwitz concentration camp. Nicholas Winton had never told a single person about his work because it wouldn't have been safe, but also because he wasn't seeking fame. Fifty years had passed and his wife found a notebook in the attic and it had names and dates and pictures of every child. She figured out what it was and she gave it to a journalist. And then he was later invited on to an episode of That's Life. What he didn't realize in that room was every child he had rescued from Czechoslovakia. And they stood up and started clapping and thanking him. And he just sat there and he wept. Tears of joy. Nicholas Winton died in 2015 at the age of 106. By God's grace, he got to see the fruit of his labor. The man had leveraged his life, his time, and his money to rescue these children. What would it look like for us, the church, to do the same thing? What would it take for us to move out of our comfort zones and to start leveraging our prayer life and our wallets and our time to be a blessing so that others may know Christ? What if you delayed buying the new car for a year and used all those payments to give to the mission field? Have you used your vacation to go overseas? Have you took some of your free time and invested it in your neighborhood? What if you got your family together every week to start praying for Macon or for missionaries? Who knows what the impact might be? We probably will never get the blessing that Nicholas Winton did when he got to see the fruit of his labor while on earth. But we will see as a church the fruit of our labor. Who knows how many people we might encounter in the next life that their touch point with the gospel is because of a sacrifice that we made. So I encourage you to do that. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, we come recalling that we have been blessed to be a blessing. We've been blessed by God in Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we partake of the supper, we proclaim to each other and to the world the Lord's death until he comes again. So let us prepare our hearts now. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you love us, that you come to us, that you call us out of a life of sin to yourself and you give us a new life and new purpose. And Lord, we find our greatest joy in partnering with you in, in that we keep in step with your spirit, that we love the things that you love and that we seek the kingdom that you are building. We pray that, Lord, you would bless us now as we come to communion. Lord, would you fill us up, renew us, and refresh us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.